Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Hello, my name is Sean Shields, and today I'll be your host for this SBCA podcast series, looking at how component manufacturers around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in today's market. My guest today is Mike Bugby, part owner of Oregon Trust in Salem, Oregon. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Sean. I'm honored to be part of this series. All right. Well, Mike, you have had a long history with the component manufacturing industry. Can you share with us how you started in construction and what do you remember about uh, your early exposure to trusses? Well, after uh, dropping out of college, I found work as a framer uh, building homes. Uh, I remember early days in trusses back in the mid-70s where trusses were just snapped out on chalk lines on a concrete floor. Uh, put together based on uh, designs out of binders and uh, pressed together with C-clamps. The trusses then were perceived as, you know, a lower cost way of doing certain types of construction. Uh, They were very simplistic. Uh, The only trusses I ever installed back when I was a framer was just straight gable end. It's come a long way since then. Mike, yeah, you, I've had a long, yeah, a long ways. Now, m- most people who have been in this industry for a while know you as the face of Simpson Strong Tie. Uh, can you share briefly how you came to work for Simpson and what the company was like back then? Well, after being a framer, I had a role as a assistant superintendent on a large construction project. Uh, then found. Uh, that uh, had an aptitude towards sales. So I uh, was able to work for two Simpson distributors uh, in the California market. And during the building recession in the late 70s, early 80s, I was looking at other opportunities and found there was some openings at Simpson. One was in California where I grew up and another one was based in Texas. So I took that opportunity to kind of expand my geographic horizons. So now, early on in in your career at Simpson, uh, you developed a relationship with some pioneering component manufacturers in Texas, like Charlie Barnes at Trustway and uh, Staten Douthat at Associated Trust. Why were those relationships so pivotal in growing the relationship between Simpson and the trust industry? Well, in the Texas market, it was quite a bit different than it was in the West Coast, where most of the products were designed around seismic applications. And uh, Simpson was able to grow, uh, you know, fairly quickly, albeit a much smaller than they are now. And in the Mid-South market, uh, there weren't the seismic applications. Tornadoes were perceived as uh, something that you really couldn't mitigate uh, in the main. And uh, hurricanes were uh, pretty much limited to the coastal areas. So looking for opportunities to sell Simpson products uh, led me towards uh, trusses, uh, which had a lot more opportunity for connector use than uh, the uh, framing systems typically used in that market. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, Staten Douthat, Charlie Barnes, actually both contacted me in the same week. I believe it was in the fall of 1983 and uh, they both kind of independently came to the same conclusion that the trust industry 
would benefit from participation by a company like Simpson. There were some products specifically designed for trusses. They called them, uh, well, one of the largest volume products, they called long year hangers, which uh, were the top strap hangers that could be attached uh, over the top cord, over the bottom cord, um, even uh, possibly bent around uh, webbing to get uh, connections. But very few of those, if any, as I recall, had things as simple as uh, fastener schedules, load values, and I don't believe any of them had uh, evaluation reports from uh, accredited uh, code agencies. Interesting. So can you share an example or two of sort of how that interaction between Charlie and Staten and you and the Simpson R&D department worked? Um, typically, how did you help uh, those two groups interact to come up with specific uh, products for the trust industry? Well, after conversations, uh, Simpson had developed products for different types of systems on the West Coast, in particular, uh, seismic applications. Uh, they both identified uh, those types of things that I was mentioning earlier, you know, load values, fastener schedules, uh, third-party uh, independent code agency uh, review reports, and felt that that was very important. So the first products that we developed at Simpson were uh, basically alternatives to the uh, existing products, you know, the long ear hangers. We call them the THAs truss hanger adjustable height. And the sizes we came out with initially were the 13 and 18 inch uh, lengths for uh, two by, double two by, and four by uh, trusses for you know single roof trusses, double roof trusses, and floor trusses. And those uh, caught on. There was other products that we resized specifically for the truss industry, but uh, that's what I developed primarily working with Charlie and Staten. Uh, shortly after that, I was transferred to Florida, which was oh, <laughs> fortuitous as far as my involvement with the trust industry, because arguably Florida was kind of the center of trust advancement and development uh, during that period. Companies like Alpine, Robbins, BMAX, Gangnail uh, were all based there. And there was a lot of people very passionate about the industry, as passionate as, say, Charlie and Staten were. And that uh, passion was uh, infectious. There was several people who had a lot of interest in what Simpson could do and uh, worked, put in countless hours to educate me on what was needed in the industry and how to uh, develop products that applied. Uh, as good as they possibly could for the trust industry. And those people included like uh, Charlie Hoover, Charlie Vaccaro, uh, David Wright at Alpine, uh, Dorothy Lynch, Dianel Catanda, uh, Ralph DeValle at Robbins, and uh, even uh, some people from Trust Choice who had an interest in not only developing products for uh, their systems, iJoyce and their structural composite lumber, but uh, gaining or raising the whole bar for structural integrity for all of the engineered wood products, including uh, trusses and the products that, that Trust Space manufactured. Well, you bring up a good point. So 
back then, components were sort of lumped into engineered wood products. Is that correct? Well, um, there was, you know, the term engineered wood products has kind of evolved. You know, at one time, I think it was more aligned with iJoyce. Uh, at other times, it was inclusive of, you know, trusses, uh, structural composite lumber, possibly even glue lamp. And at that time, Simpson chose to define engineered wood products as uh, the more inclusive definition. So now, was it before or after you moved to Florida that you sort of took over sales of essentially all EWP? Uh, it evolved. I spent several years in Florida, I believe almost four years, and got quite an education there from uh, the people that I mentioned and others uh, to learn about the trust industry, get infected with their enthusiasm, and develop quite a passion for it on my own. Uh, Simpson then identified the need for a focus in that area, and since I had championed uh, many products to develop a, a bit of a critical mass that allowed Simpson to invest in uh, developing products for the trust industry, I was given the opportunity for that role and moved out to California as uh, Simpson's first product manager focusing on the engineered wood products, primarily iJoyce and trusses. Now, you had a lot of success in, in that role with Simpson. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how um, you eventually were asked to travel across the Atlantic and help Simpson expand its product offerings in Europe. Can you talk a little bit about what was going on that prompted Simpson to sort of move in that direction then? Yes, I, you know, as I mentioned, I had experience working with the folks at TrustJoyce and other iJoyce manufacturers. There was uh, many at the time. And uh, my involvement with the trust industry, developing a range of products, developing technical services to make sure that the products could be uh, correctly specified and correctly installed. And the situation in Europe is that the EU was forming. Uh, there was concerns about uh, companies being blocked from entry uh, once they defined the European Union. Uh, some of the advocates for the European Union were actually in favor of that as one of the benefits for forming the union. And uh, at that time, the trust industry was developing in the European market. Uh, Hydroware, Gangmail, Alpine were all over there, as were some manufacturers there locally, like Wolf. And so because of my background and also because I had kind of expressed an interest in Simpson's future and developing a worldwide presence, I was given the opportunity to move over. Excellent. So you go over there. Um... Can you talk a little bit about um, what were some of the things that you did for Simpson once you were over in Europe, just as an example? Okay. Well, I guess the biggest thing is tried to uh, develop or um, sell a an appreciation for some of the things that Simpson felt was necessary to specify and basically um, use uh, connectors in construction, things like uh, you know, fastener schedules, uh, alternative installations, uh, load values on different materials and different applications, as opposed to how it was commonly done over there, where it was basically a deemed to comply. 
they would have a very narrow, specific uh, documentation. In the UK, it was the BBA, uh, British Board of Agromol. And so it had a particular uh, connector for a particular application. And then that was deemed adequate to comply uh, for the codes, as opposed to giving the engineers the tools and the flexibility of using the different products in tested ways to uh, solve uh, their problems and had limited success with that. I think since I left and other people have continued that uh, initiative, it's, it's become much better uh, throughout Europe. So after four years of doing that, you came back to the States. Um, you progressed through a chain of senior management roles until becoming senior vice president of sales for all of Simpson. If we pause for a moment, or sort of at that moment, how would you describe the change that had occurred uh, in the relationship between Simpson and the component manufacturing industry from when you began? So that, you know, that's approximately a 17, 18 year time period. How did it switch from a sales perspective, a number of customers perspective, sort of how Simpson viewed the trust industry versus you know, where, where that business segment fit into uh, Simpson's business model when you first started? Oh, that's um, quite a question. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the early days uh, with uh, Simpson's involvement in the trust industry, uh, Simpson was a much smaller company. It was just a fraction of the size it is now. And so uh, developing products would be uh, very critical. And so the success of the THA hangers in particular and uh, establishing Simpson as kind of a player for connectors in that industry was huge in freeing up uh, resources to develop additional products. And one of the products that uh, I think really put us on the map was the THA-29. And that is one where uh, the countless hours of people like Charlie Hoover and Dorothy Lynch and Ralph the Valley uh, all put into making certain that we got it right and uh, overcoming some of the prejudices about, you know, some of the more prescriptive uh, needs for like a three and a half inch bearing because that's what a wall plate was as opposed to something that was tested and engineered and every element of it uh, being able to prove by uh, sound engineering principles would work. And the success of that product, which really put Simpson on the map in the trust industry, uh, paved the way for all the other products that uh, were developed from that point. Fast forwarding to uh, when I came back from Europe, uh, the trust products were a very significant part of, of Simpson's uh, sales and profitability. And uh, that was part of my role in the sales and marketing uh, senior management roles that I held. And it gave me the opportunity to recruit and support uh, some people who uh, kind of grew up in the trust industry and had a tremendous passion for it. Uh, people like uh, Steve Pryor, Mark Crawford, um, Carl Schoening, Kelly Sias, um, San Sias, all had the opportunity uh, on my team to kind of develop everything that they thought uh, was needed from their experience in the trust industry. And that was a very rewarding thing for me, watching those people grow, uh, use Simpsons resources to develop their uh, their dreams and uh, find a lot of fulfillment.
Excellent. You mentioned all these names, and I think for those who have been in the industry for a long time, those are all instantly recognizable. Now, eventually, you helped Oversee Simpson get into the connector plate business. Um, in just big picture terms, can you talk a little bit about what Simpson's motivation for adding that business sector was, and what opportunity did Simpson see that they wanted to take advantage of at the time? Okay. Well, the uh, the plate side of the the business and the uh, engineering software were always kind of an attractive adjacent uh, opportunity. Uh, Simpson, for many years, actually for decades, was happy uh, participating on the, you know, the, what they called the structural connector side. I know a lot of the plate manufacturers call the plates as connectors, but uh, with the support of the plate and software uh, companies uh, with uh, Simpson's hardware, uh, there was a disincentive to going into competition with some key influencers that uh, supported, you know, Simpson's uh, participation. With uh, first Alpine going in and out and then back in uh, to the hangar side of the business, and then uh, MyTech's acquisition of uh, USP, those uh, disincentives kind of evaporated, and it was almost a defensive measure to go into the plate and software uh, side of the business. Uh, to make sure that Simpson could continue to participate in the connector or the, you know, the, the hangar and hardware side of the business. So they acquired, you know, what was available in the way of software and plates. And I was asked to pull that business together as kind of like a, a business unit manager. So, Mike, in pursuing that uh, part of the business, that caused you to have to uh, really uh, rely on your interpersonal relationships with Keith Dietzen at uh, Keymark and with Bill Black. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your relationships with the two of them and how uh, that relationship really helped in pull that business unit together? Yeah, I uh, first met Keith Dietzen, the uh, founder of Keymark. I believe it was at uh, BCMC in 1984, and he had a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, he was a software-only provider, uh, dependent on commodity plate manufacturers. I believe he was in and out of plate manufacturing for a time or two, but uh, hit it off. I mean, Keith is a, a very outstanding individual and uh, very smart, very creative, very innovative. Uh, never quite hit the um, combination right to become an Alpine uh, or MyTech, but uh, had a lot of uh, innovative ideas. Uh, Simpson had worked with him in different ventures from the late 90s um, you know, through the 2000s. And when Simpson decided to get into the uh, software side of things, it made a lot of sense to uh, do that. Uh, through Keith. I mean, there weren't a lot of options left. There had been quite a bit of consolidation in the software and plate side of the business. And then uh, Bill Black had actually more of a relationship with Tom Fitzmyers than myself. I didn't get the, uh, actually the pleasure of getting to know Bill until Simpson had acquired automatic stamping. Uh, Bill was an incredibly, well, was, he is an incredibly passionate person about the industry 
he uh, has a almost a paternalistic type of uh, sentiment towards you know many of his long-term uh, customers and uh, employees and uh, felt compelled to get back in the plate business after selling uh, T-Lock to uh, MyTech you know, several years before and had developed a very efficient uh, way of manufacturing plates that uh, required very little labor and a high level of automation and uh, knew the secrets of making a very high quality plate. Uh, from what I understand, the performance of the automatic stamping plate that Simpson now owns uh, rivals any, if not exceeds most, as far as uh, plate performance. Now, you retired from Simpson in early 2016. Uh, shortly thereafter, Wayne Beebe, the founder of Oregon Trust, came to you looking for some advice. Can you share a little bit about what excited you about working with Wayne? You know, what did he come to you? Uh, with, and why did you eventually decide to invest not only your time but also your money into Oregon Trust? Right. Um, it was an interesting uh, series of conversations uh, when I notified Wayne that I was going to be retiring from Simpson. He says, "Well, we need to talk." Uh, Wayne and I had become friends over the years as a Simpson plate and software customer. Uh, we'd done some different outings. Uh, you know, some uh, hunting trips, some golf outings, and uh, hit it off really well. And uh, Wayne asked me to talk to him about the potential he had with Oregon Trust to take advantage of the recovery from the uh, Great Recession uh, and talking about uh, what his thoughts were, uh, getting to meet members of his team. I felt uh, this uh, company has huge opportunities. So I consulted for a bit. Uh, we discussed different types of relationships. And eventually, we came to uh, a deal where I would invest in the company uh, and uh, at a certain formula and participate or, or benefit from the growth I can help the company achieve. Now, you said that you got the um, you know, meet with the Oregon Trust employees. You got to sort of look at the market, look at the opportunities that were there. Can you share a little bit more about um, what was it that made you so excited? I know that you mentioned to me when we talked earlier that, you know, when you were planning on retiring from Simpson, uh, it wasn't necessarily in your game plan to immediately launch yourself into the trust industry. You were looking at sort of lots of opportunities. What was it about this opportunity that um, you sort of didn't pursue those other ones, but pursued this one? When I retired from Simpson, uh, I really didn't have to get a job. I mean, I could have ridden off into the sunset. Uh, coincidentally, uh, my wife and I had built a dream home on the Oregon coast, and that's uh, where we planned to uh, retire. And uh, it was, it's a couple hours away from uh, Oregon Trust, but you know, at least it had us in the same uh, part of the world. And my thought was uh, looking at something more entrepreneurial. I'd always kind of fantasized about being an entrepreneur. My parents were both entrepreneurs, but uh, the gig at Simpson was just too lucrative to uh, really uh, take the plunge. 
until, you know, after my retirement. You know, I looked at some other opportunities, some in the industry, some outside the industry. And the the vision that Wayne had uh, gave me the opportunity to have an entrepreneurial type of experience uh, that would accelerate my uh, involvement and uh, lower some of the risk. So uh, with the money that I had kind of earmarked for investment, I invested that into uh, Oregon Trust, and it's worked out, I feel, very well for both of us. So part of that vision was to transform Oregon Trust itself and its relationship to sort of all the customers in the Pacific Northwest. Um, in your approach in your current role, it seems like you are approaching it much the same way as you did uh, in your roles at Simpson, of listening to uh, your customers and uh, having sales sort of driven that way. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your methodology and how uh, the skills that you developed at Simpson have um, really come to bear well here in, on the other side of the equation in the trust industry? Well, I don't want to give away all my secrets, but uh, basically, <laughs> if you'll listen to customers, uh, keep an open mind as far as uh, what their requests and concerns are, they'll tell you how to successfully deal with them. And I've always been a big fan, too, of uh, the power of uh, line of least resistance. And if you're the easiest company to deal with, and you're able to find ways of uh, alleviating pain points in a way that uh, costs less than the value derived, uh, that's capitalism. And uh, it's worked out very well for us. I believe we've gone from uh, the perception of being a struggling company to being one of the premier uh, trust manufacturers in the region. One final question for you, Mike. Um, over your long career, you've watched the evolution of the trust industry uh, through the eyes of one of its most significant uh, suppliers. And now you continue uh, to participate in that evolution as a component manufacturer yourself. Given your unique experience, what do you think that companies in the industry need to be focused on over the next five to 10 years uh, to make sure that they grow and, and prosper? Well, you need to pay attention to uh, how the industry is developing. There's a lot of automation coming about. Some of it is uh, very promising, but maybe not quite mature. Uh, the whole concept of offsite uh, building, which is basically the whole basic value proposition for the trust industry, uh, is expanding in some areas. Uh, it could tie into things like you know, Revit, uh, BIM modeling, uh, but there's some key uh, areas uh, basically of expense that don't fit uh, neatly into the different participation models at this point. There's a lot of work that has to be done up front to make everything work smoothly, and I don't see a real clear way of all of that being paid for at this point. So, uh, I had anticipated, you know, the BIM and automation thing taking hold a lot sooner than it has. It's just a couple gaps that need to be bridged. And, you know, technology could bridge them in an instant and change things quite a bit. I think the component manufacturers are in a key position 
to take uh, advantage of that. And we're constantly looking at ways to profitably participate in the, the next evolution, but um, we're not in a position to fund that <laughs> evolution in a way where uh, we would have to invest in a significant time frame before we'd actually see benefit. So uh, we're focusing on doing what we know we do uh, very well, doing it better than uh, anyone in our markets, and uh, just paying attention as the, as the industry evolves. Uh, as far as how you relate to customers, as I said, being the easiest to deal with, uh, look for ways to uh, ease their pain uh, in a way that costs you less than it provides value for them uh, is hardly rocket science, but it's the key to success for uh, any entrepreneurial enterprise. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Well, thank you, Sean. Uh, it's been great working with you. Thank you for providing such support and allowing me to uh, do this. And uh, I understand you're going to make me sound better than I really am. <laughs> we will do everything in our power to do so. I'd also like to thank our listeners for spending this time with us and hopefully gaining some insight into how to capitalize on today's and tomorrow's market opportunities. Thank you for listening to SBCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at sbcindustry.com.